Hello, everyone. Welcome to the prelude for this amazing episode we recorded with Ava Blackwell over Zoom. Khalid, of course, comes out swinging with the brilliant questions. I ask a few. Ava is brilliant and such a good person to talk with. She talks about a few things that she's currently doing, including, of course, Star Trek Discovery, but about future films that she's working on that are coming out. And I must say, it was just a wonderful conversation. Additionally, I apologize for audio on my end. My interface went out earlier today. Not an excuse, just an explanation. It won't happen again. Once again, this is Ava Blackwell. Welcome to Indefensive Humanity. My name is Oscarice Oz Miller. Of course, I'm joined by Khalid Johnson. And today we're joined by Ava Blackwell, actress, model, martial artist. Please introduce yourself. Hi. Uh, well, you did a very good job, Asterisk. Uh, my name is Ava Blackwell. You might know me best from Star Trek Discovery, but you wouldn't recognize me because I'm under a giant head called Osnolis. <laughs> I'm a big-headed alien. Um, and I'm also a stunt performer, martial artist, and model in the city of Toronto. Nice. Yeah. So before we even get started with what you're currently doing, Tell us how you got your start, um, acting, martial arts, anything. Yeah, okay. Well, how I got my start start was actually all around the age of six. Uh, my For martial arts, my mom put me in a ballet class. And even though I liked the teacher, she was like this very proper uh, French ballet teacher. And I kind of liked the other girls. Uh, there was a stiffness there. And I ran around doing flying kicks in the air. <laughs> and my teacher... My mom came to pick me up and my teacher was like, she might be suited better for martial arts. You should try this dojo. So, so she actually like recommended us to a dojo and um, uh, that began my little journey in martial arts. That was Shotokan Karate under Sensei Yuri Isakovich. Mm-hmm. And uh, through him, I, I won a bunch of tournaments. I uh, got my black belt over the course of 10 years and uh, studied a very traditional style of Shotokan Karate. Um, And then for acting, same thing. About six years old, my mom started volunteering. Uh, We're we're from Alberta, and my mom started volunteering as uh, the makeup artist for the Drumheller Passion Play, which was uh, uh, through our church. And I showed up, because I was always there with her. I just showed up, and they put me in a costume, put me as like a little peasant girl, as an extra in the Drumheller Passion Play. So I spent my summers outdoors. It's a big amphitheater for, it tells the story of Jesus and all this other stuff. And uh, it's an interesting group of people who put it together. And uh, we did that every year. So that was my start in acting. Cool. And so you, let's say you got started. Um, where did you move from there? Did you, you clearly didn't remain in Alberta. So where did you no. go from there? Uh, well, I always followed my dad around. Both of my parents are military. Uh, my mom got out when I was born. She was a military police officer, but my dad was still active uh, up until two or three years ago when he retired. And so dad was always all around the world. So we would follow him on vacations, uh, like our vacations from school and our summer holidays. We would always go see him wherever he was. 
so that got me exposed to the world. And that's also how um, I got further into acting. Because whenever I was with my dad for an extended period of time somewhere, he would put us into drama camps and uh, into like whatever Shakespeare in the park was around. Uh, my dad would always sign us up for. So that's how I integrated into communities and met people was through acting or through some sort of creative medium, which was cool. And then at uh, 17, I was selected to be a Rotary Youth Ambassador with uh, the Rotary Club of Calgary. And they sent me on exchange to Holland. And that was my first time like going out by myself into the world. And I went and lived with four Dutch families in Holland for my uh, last year of high school. And I got a taste for that, never looked back and just kind of flew the coop and kept, uh, kept living abroad for many years. And while you were in Holland, did you pick up Dutch at all? Yeah. Or or? Yeah, nee, ik spreek Nederlands. Ik heb, ja, nee, that means I, I speak Dutch. Um, I lived with a bunch of Dutch families and I had a very good Dutch teacher and my Rotary Club, it was Rotary Sossenheim. Uh, Sossenheim is a small town just outside of Lissa where the Kokenhof is uh, in Holland. That's where they get, you get all the tulips, all the famous tulips. Uh, and they were incredibly supportive of me uh, and my journey with Dutch. And they also got me involved in some community theater <laughs> when I was there. So I did a few community theater productions and some music and stuff. So, And karate. I studied with one of the um, members of the club. He had a dojo under the style of Wado. So I studied Wado karate while I was in the Netherlands. Which okay. was cool. Yeah, it all kind of ties together. <laughs> So considering um, how much you've like traveled, right, and, you know, obviously doing work within these um, shows and modeling takes you places, um, what's been your like favorite place to to film, you know, like? I love Prague place? and my favorite place to film and live is Prague. It was hard. It was a rough time in my life, Prague. I was like a, a film student. Um, and then the year after, which is always, you know, hard, that transition from being like a student to a real life working adult. That's a hard transition anyway. Um, and to do it in a foreign country by myself was quite interesting, you know? Um, but it was beautiful there. And I, I always, like my demo reel got me hired a lot and I always made the joke. It's just because everything was filmed in Prague. So you can't be bad when like your backdrop is like Vichyrad Cathedral and like, the Vlatava River and all this beautiful architecture. It was, it's a magical place, that city. And there's so much creativity and openness and cool cosmopolitan energy. And it's cool. That's my favorite place. You, you, you mentioned uh, kind of adjusting to real world life and um, couldn't be more scared about that part. My master's <laughs> yeah. program ends like next December. Wow. So, yeah. Definitely some anxiety about what like happens after that as far as like professional um, placement. Well, man, the world is so up in the air. You really just have to take it moment by moment. And I mean, you seem like a talented, driven individual. Obviously, you're quite intelligent and you're connected to a great group of people, even through this podcast. Um, and I think it's just like the one thing I've learned, it's a, just about cutting out the noise, dialing in and focusing on yourself and what you want. Cause at the end of the day, it's your life. And when I have so much, like when I had these incredible moments of anxiety where I just didn't know what to do next, 
and I was freaking out. I and even now it comes true in 2020 again. You just got to make it really small scale. And you look around you and you're like, in this moment, is everything okay? I'm okay. I've got a roof over my head. I've got like <laughs> food in the fridge. And there's moments I didn't have either of those things. I was I was homeless in Prague for a little while, uh, but my friends took care of me and I found a way. And it was like, you just, you just find your way and you commit to your journey and it's gonna be okay. It's not always like roses and sunshine, but it's true that diamonds are made under pressure. You got this man, dedicate Thank yourself. You, you got it. <laughs> and so you move, um, you finish film school what exactly did you study at film school? I was in a pilot acting for film program at the Prague Film School. Originally, I was applying to film schools uh, for cinematography and screenwriting. Uh, so acting was always an interest of mine, but it wasn't going to be like my main focus. Uh, I applied to Berlin. I applied to FAMU. I applied to um, some schools in London. I even applied to Concordia in Montreal. They have a very good cinematography. Oh my gosh. Sorry, I've been on the road all day, like trying to speak now. Um, they have a very good cinematography program in, uh, in Montreal. And um, this opportunity popped up. I saw it was a pilot program. Uh, the first year they were ever doing it in 2009 at the Prague Film School. And uh, they were selecting 10 students from around the world and you had to send in your audition tapes and like a resume of the past stuff you had done and i didn't think i had enough like i looked at the other people who were in the class and i was like well these people are very accomplished like they had people that had been touring in theaters for years around europe and working like at the globe in london i'm like i'm i'm not qualified for this but i applied anyway and uh, they were impressed with my diversity of experience. And um, they also, like they, I sent in a monologue. I sent in a mon monologue I had written for the previous, uh, for my high school's drama fest in New Brunswick and uh, just hoped for the best. And I ended up getting a call the next, uh, it was like two or three days later, it happened very quickly. Two or three days later, they were like, hey, um, any chance you could come down like next week? Cause I had applied for the following year cause the, on the website and everything, it said that they were full. Um, and like you were applying for the next year, but I sent in my stuff and I guess it made it to the, the head of the school. And they said, they called me and said, Hey, are you available to come down in like two or three days? We, we can fit you in for this year. And I said, yes. And 24 hours later, I was on a plane to Prague. <laughs> Yeah, it was pretty crazy. It's pretty crazy. And how did you get from film school? Because I, I assume you're doing acting, which is predominantly theater. How did no, it you... was it, it was a mix for of both. Sorry, I, I I want please finish your question. No, no, that was it. Okay, okay. so I started off with an incorrect assumption. I, That's okay. I would love to be corrected. That's all good. Um, I, I was doing theater in high school. I was doing like musical theater and uh, regular theater. And then in at Prague Film School, it was geared towards film. And I knew I wanted, if I was going to pursue a career in this, I knew I wanted to do film and television more than I wanted to do theater. I love theater. I love being on stage so much. Uh, but I also 
knew that like the future was more in film unfortunately some like my future i i i know a lot of people who are very successful in in broadway and musical theater and theater in general and i respect those actors so much but my future was in film so i decided to pursue that it's like an entirely different like discipline right like totally different disciplines people don't get that enough i think that people are more like audiences are more savvy now like they, you got everybody gets it and we're so used to being on camera now 10 years ago i can't believe it was 10 years ago when i did film school god time's time flies um uh we weren't so used to being on camera like youtube was just like an emerging thing and and uh smartphones didn't exist and like I was still using like T9 texting. Wow, I'm so old, I'm so old. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I recall those days, you're, you're not old at all. Okay, cool. <laughs> You've just been in the system a little bit longer, like getting masters, <laughs> that's amazing. So like within your, um, you know, your, your acting work, um, obviously there's this, stunt aspect right yeah and so like doing the stunt work um what are like your your biggest like kind of fears and anxieties when going into that like obviously you're trained enough to be able to hold your own when you do that kind of stuff but like you know is there ever like any like fear in the back of your mind about what if i misstep what if i do something wrong uh well you'll know pretty quickly <laughs> when did you do that i mean there's always pressure to do the job correctly. There's very little margin for error in a lot of, especially in stunts. And uh, the thing I'm learning more and more about stunts as I embark on my journey with it, because I'm, I'm still relatively new to stunts. I've only been doing it professionally for really the last year. I've been training for it longer and I had little uh, kind of spurts here and there, but I've only been comfortable enough to call myself a stunt performer even really in the last a few months um, because I'm getting hired more and more and I, I just got on stunt list. I'm really proud of it. I got on it uh, two days ago. It's a big thing. You have to have six union stunt credits and you have to be like approved by the people who own it and you get on it and it's like, now you're on stunt list and they can see you and like all the coordinators can find you. So I'm like, yay, celebrating that. Um, so fears and anxieties related to stunts, you... First of all, I just want to keep my people safe. I want to keep the people that I am working with and myself obviously safe, but I default always more towards like, God, I do not want to screw this up for anybody else because you screw up and you can like ruin somebody's day pretty badly, you know, or your day. So I mitigate that by just preparing to the best of my ability working with people I trust. Trust is huge in stunts. Like you gotta trust your coordinators, you gotta trust your people, you gotta trust yourself. If I don't think I'm up for a gig, if I don't think that I can do the gig safely, I and, and, I, and I don't have enough time to prepare for it, I just, I don't, I don't take it. Stunts isn't a quantitative thing for me, it's a qualitative. Like I only wanna do things that I know that I can execute well, safely and in to the best of my ability and enhance production, you know? Yeah, that's but, a very smart approach. <laughs> yeah, that's like, you know, like, cause there's, there's so much, if you, 
there, when people first embark on stunts and a lot of people want to do it or think they want to do it and they don't realize that it's not you're not doing it for an adrenaline high like you're you need to do dangerous things as safely as possible you know that's what it is and you do need to take risks but they should be calculated risks and they should be educated risks and there should be like many professionals coming to a consensus on what is the right way to do it before you approach right so you're not there like as a wild cannon shooting out you might have to look like you're doing you're you're wildly doing things but you have to be always in control you know yeah 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 so that's my uh that's my two cents on the issue and you i don't think it was recently but i remember seeing you were doing a film that had mixed martial arts in it yeah, so uh, that's EFC movie. That's going to be a great film when that comes out. It's a female-driven uh, mixed martial arts film. Mm-hmm. And uh, the tagline for it is, it's not just another fight. It's the fight for everything. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the stunt women uh, that came together to do that film are incredible, phenomenal. Some of the best in the industry in, in Toronto, for sure. And uh, many have gone on to do great things ever since we filmed that. Um, and it is in post-production. COVID got it caught up a little bit more because it is a smaller production. So it relied heavily on like people gathering together and getting it done. But it is uh, in the final stages of post-production and it should be ready for really shortly. I'm really excited about that. Yeah. And maybe, you know, try to keep it safe both in times of coronavirus as well as for CBS Viacom. Mm-hmm. You did play Ozanellis. And can you tell us a little bit about that? You got to work alongside one of my heroes, Doug Jones. I love Doug Jones. You know, do you know that he has an honorary PhD? He's Dr. Doug that. Jones. Yeah. yeah. So I'll, I'll walk by him on set and I'll be like, Dr. Jones. <laughs> He's cool. Hi, Doug. I love you. Um, he's one of the most incredible human beings you'll ever meet. He he performs so well under pressure. I've learned so much just from being around him for two seasons on uh, Trek. Uh, and getting to watch what he does. Like, I work very closely with him, and oftentimes it's him and I in prosthetics, and he's in much heavier prosthetics than I am, obviously, and he's glued into them. I have the 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 good fortune of being able to take Osnolis off between takes. Um, Doug does not. He's in that every day, and he's there a lot more than I am. Like, I my character last season, anyway, was really only on the bridge, and... Uh, Doug's is everywhere, obviously. Saru is one of the main characters on the show. And his dedication to his craft, his ability to execute under any circumstances, and his like willingness and generosity of spirit is incredible. You, you, him, every, and that is true of m- many of the actors on the show. Sinequa as well. An incredible human being. Her power of focus and intensity and her love for her fellow castmates and crew members and for the show and her dedication to just making it the best that it could possibly be with an open heart and a great attitude god that woman's phenomenal 
did you saw the you saw the premiere of of uh of season three correct i did, I did. goose bumps Sonequa. oh my god what a queen yes and speaking of the premiere so mm-hmm. if i'm not mistaken they were walking you know through orion syndicate territory mm-hmm. and i saw what appeared to be the same species as osnellus in the background maybe maybe a second. that may or may not have been yours truly okay okay i was wondering that was me in the background yeah uh different member of the same species mm-hmm. um and the team put together an incredible costume for that very fun um there were so many aliens at that in in that scene i uh i think i have no idea but i think that may have been the most aliens that have ever been in like one scene mm-hmm. for this show for sure okay, i don't know yeah. in the star trek canon i have no idea that's a whole other issue but for this show that that was like there were so many aliens <laughs> there were a lot of aliens um you know considering that obviously you know the, the show as it is has to like reverence you know like like be referential to things that came before while also mm-hmm. trying like to be different and new and fresh right do you ever notice like any any pressure um as far as like living up to the other things or or oh. fear of, like isolating um longtime fans um you know yeah uh i can't speak to that so much uh i'll speak to the to what i notice around me like what's happening when we're filming um it's just that they want to really stay true to the star trek canon obviously and they want to have their own identity. And I think they do a great job of that on Discovery, like kind of an action adventure series, which Star Trek is anyway, and stay true to like the core of what Trek is. Um, and I think they walk that balance really well. And I think it has a lot, Discovery has a, done what it set out to do and, and gathered a new fan base that wasn't necessarily the traditional Trek fan base it was sort of for a new generation and i think it really worked because younger people are talking to me about the show that you know and it got them into trek they're starting they're start they're starting to explore other um other shows you know which is cool i think it's great but yeah obviously you want to like live up to it but you it's it's you have to have your own identity as well and you got to do your own thing within the family you know Absolutely. Um, yeah. What do you you What do you guys think? You think it does a good job? I think it does. I think it, but I also am someone who likes Enterprise for what it attempted to do. Yeah. Not necessarily what it succeeded to do. Voyager for the same reason. Mm-hmm. And I, I prefer Next Generation, especially the one episode, The Inner Light, over yeah. the original series. Wow! Really? I, I know it's a. What do you love about the, the inner light? What do you love about it? The inner light, because oh, it took took Picard and put him in a situation that he hasn't necessarily been avoiding, but his career through Starfleet has put him in opposition to a life where he could have a family. Until recently, until Star Trek Picard, mm-hmm, where he mm-hmm. has an adopted son that he has mm-hmm. to leave 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think Incredible, that was eh? that was starting what led to Picard. Yeah, and they really picked up from there. Yeah, exactly, right? I, I, I love how Star Trek does that. They always go back and they pick up on it and some like the the creators and the writers and everybody, like all the creatives who are in charge of making all of these shows happen are just such incredibly talented people. And the way they think inside and outside of the box and make new boxes and like challenge our belief system. Like, it's just an incredible thing to be part of. And I'm, I'm learning, like I'm, I'm new to this universe. I, I knew about it and I had watched some of it bef- before working on the show and I was a fan, but I hadn't really explored everything that the universe has to offer. And I'm, I'm, I'm in it now and I'm taking it all in. And I just am so humbled and grateful to be like, even just such a small part of this incredible, incredible thing that humanity has created, you know, it's, it says a lot. I, 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 I love the universe. I love being part of it. Ava Blackwell is still with us. Hi. Kareem Johnson, of course, is sitting there looking awfully nice today. Looking super fly. Yeah, you look great. The lighting's good. Your camera's clear. You have a nice sweater on. Your headphones are <laughs> beautiful. The light is bouncing off your face well. Looks like a cinematographer just like lit your skin up the way it should be. <laughs> Glowing. Beautiful. I feel so, so appreciated. <laughs> you are. <laughs> you are very appreciated. You are seen and appreciated, sir. So yeah, um, so we spoke a bit about season three, Star Trek, your stunt work, mm-hmm. but we haven't yet hit on your modeling. Yeah, my modeling life. Yeah. What would you like to know about it? I would say everything, but we, okay. we don't have forever. Okay. Um, I'm sure it's quite extensive. Uh, can, you, can you go over the highlights? I'm sure they're all highlights, but can you yeah. go over... Well, I just I want to say start out start this off by just speaking to anybody who's thinking about getting into modeling or aspiring models out there, Mm -hmm. people who are made to career. My modeling career didn't even start until I was about 22. I tried for many years and kept getting spit out of the modeling world uh, because I was not the right measurements. I had braces as a kid, acne. I remember showing up to uh, an agency in my like coolest outfit I could find at like 14 because everybody told me that I should be a model because I was tall you know all the girls get that you're tall you're beautiful you should be a model so you get that pressure you go in prepped all my little headshots and stuff and like had my mom drop me off went in in my best outfit I could find like really thought it out and uh was really nervous and I went up to the lady and she said come back when your skin clears up and get your braces off so dismissively and like didn't even give me the time of day that crushed me but fast forward eight years later and i'm like walking for versace i'm opening uh toronto fashion week for amato couture from dubai i'm walking for leslie hampton who's a huge designer here walking like very in demand for a bunch of designers to dress me for tiff and it just kind of all happened naturally and organically when the time was right and my uh my coach, Stacy McKenzie, um, 
told me one time when I was having like a particularly rough day, like wondering why nothing was working out. And she just goes, Ava, nothing before it's time. Nothing can happen before it's time. I didn't really get it at the time, but she said it was such certainty of an artist who had like been down that road. And it's true. Like just even in my, even in my stunts career and in my acting career, it all like you, you just get frustrated as an artist or as anybody who's out there in the world trying to do stuff and you don't know what the future holds. It's really scary. The brain likes predictability. We like to know what's going to happen. We feel safe. We feel sure. We feel in control. We're all experiencing that like monumental shift when things just keep moving underneath us that we thought were stable. It's incredibly terrifying but it's necessary and nothing can happen before it's time and when the time is right it just organically unfolds and that's why it's important to just embark on a journey that you are okay with because eventually it's just going to unfold the way it's meant to so that's my modeling career in a nutshell. <laughs> um, so I went from like uh, a lot of people pressuring me and telling me I was getting feedback from my community that I should be a model and I should be accepted, but I was getting feedback from the industry that I wasn't good enough. So it created a lot of dissonance in me. And I took that on as a young girl um, and I didn't have the support system to like really help me otherwise. I, there's a lot more support for mental health and like a lot different standards in the industry right now, but it can still be pretty cutthroat. So I would just urge um, anybody who's in any industry that is cutthroat and competitive for like weird reasons, just not to base your self-worth or validation on it. Focus on what you can control and do those to the best of your ability and like just screw the rest. Do your thing. Words to live by. Yeah. Man. <laughs> you talk about like that like offhand you know dismissal right um mm -hmm. and you know looking at how things have been you know where there's this very strict kind of standard of beauty mm -hmm. um that is imposed on women and it's you know kind of toxic for like the um mental growth of of young women and mm -hmm. of women Girl, you know, have you noticed, like you, you, like you mentioned that it get like that it's improved a bit, but you know, to to what degrees, like things. That yeah, you I mean, that's a huge issue. The, to what degree the pressures for beauty has improved is it's hard to say. And I would like to also say that I'm speaking from a woman's perspective, so I know what my experience has been like, but I also empathize with men in this way a lot because there's an incredible amount of pressure for you guys to like live up to these standards of like um being strong and being like steadfast and having it all together and then also on top of it now like wearing the right clothes and having the right physical things and like it's it's an incredible amount of pressure either way and it's weird and I think the male side of it is not talked about as much uh it's and I'd like to see that come to light a little bit more um so that we can reach a true stasis of gender parity because uh, I think that's the only way that we're going to make this all work is if we all work together and we understand that, I mean, I'm, I speak from like a female cisgendered perspective, men and women and non-binaries, we're all like, we're all equal here. We all exist for a reason. We all need each other. So uh, let's work together on this. I think 
that we are so aware of ourselves now on camera with social media and the selfie generation, Zoom now. Many kids who are in school are watching themselves on camera every day, day in and day out, because that's their school now. I don't really know how that's affecting these young girls. I think there's an incredible amount of pressure to fit in and you're vulnerable and it's thrown out there to the public eye and it's kind of permanent out there on multiple platforms. You don't really know who's seeing you. So there's like simultaneously this incredible pressure to look good and be be a certain type of thing. And it's constantly changing um, because beauty products want to sell. So they constantly sh shake it up like, yeah, this was last month's, but now this is this month's and you need this one. I mean, it's stupid. <laughs> it's dumb. It's really dumb. It's dumb. We don't need this. Like, what has this year taught us? Like, the things that are important are your mental health, taking care of yourself and your loved ones. Like, and just being a kind person. Those are the most beautiful things, truly. And if you're happy with yourself, you're naturally going to take care of yourself. You're going to want to feed yourself the right things and you're going to want to exercise and everybody has a different ability and we all have different gifts in this world. And the more we access and tune those gifts and hone into those gifts and open those up, the more beautiful we're going to be anyway. The more we're going to find people around us that find us beautiful and we're going to get the feedback that we're beautiful. So I think the standards are screwy and weird and it's not as uh, black and white as it was. Like you're not just getting a a, a woman in the modeling world saying like the receptionist at the desk saying come back when your braces are off and your acne clears up you're getting a lot of people on social media saying that everybody is acceptable and everybody is different and we're wanting that to be true but then you're also getting like the weird feedback from the beauty industry that it's not really true it doesn't make sense and it's so weird again i'm like i'm a huge this is a huge ramble to say that the more you just focus on what you love and you open those gifts up more, the more you're going to be on the path where other people are there appreciating it and you're going to get positive feedback on it. So just stay in, stay in that lane. Sorry, it was a bit verbose, but. Um, <laughs> it's appreciated. <laughs> I do feel passionately about this subject and I have a little sister. Her name's Amy. She's a uh, 15. Wow. She grew up so fast. And I see it, like I see, she's a beautiful girl. She's so gorgeous and she's so talented and she's so well-spoken and eloquent and has beautiful manners. And and my little brother who's 17, Austin, and, and they seem to have it all together on the surface, but I know there's a lot of pressure internally that they don't know how to, verbal, they don't have the words yet to verbalize that is on them to like look good and fit in with their group and be popular on social media, it's so dumb. You're a little soft. Yeah, I can't quite hear you. Okay. Yeah. Can you hear me now? Uh, better now. Excellent. I was just saying yeah. it was your two cents, but it was a whole dollar to me. It was very, very useful. Thanks. I hope that I hope it helps somebody out there. Like, it's just my opinion. Yeah, it's no, not written I, in Sonia. I definitely think people, you know, seeing like a push in society to kind of appreciate our bodies as as they are, and um, you know, kind of rejecting the perpetuated standards of beauty has, you know, I think seeing that shift, and hopefully seeing more of it 
is um, mm -hmm. very, very necessary. Um, I have a, I have two sisters and they're both um, more plus sized women. And so, mm -hmm. you know, that they've had to kind of learn to appreciate their bodies against what the media has um, portrayed as the ideal body type, you know? Yeah. And so learning to embrace yourself is very important and, and focusing on loving yourself and being passionate about, you know, what makes you happy. Mm -hmm. That's so hard to do. And it's so hard, like, it's so hard to like understand that you're, yourself like you are not your body you are your body but it's only part of you and you have so much more to offer the world so take care of your body it's your vessel it's your temple it's your home it's where you reside on this planet so take good care of it but like god just because a small group of people that have access to these incredibly powerful platforms say that this is what you need to look like doesn't mean that's what you need to look like <laughs> it's not nor is it what you should look like god yeah yeah it's so hard when everybody's telling you one thing and you yeah like your sisters must be incredibly strong women if they've come through that journey and been able like because it's hard it's hard <laughs> anyway so um to shift a little bit that, mm -hmm. was, that was extremely important uh, and i'm glad you spoke with us about it very much so. My, my sisters, and uh, as Khalid said, uh, plus size, my mother as well. So they, they deal with interesting things throughout their day, you know, just even within themselves, but outside as well from what we see on media. So it's very a good topic to speak about. Mm hmm. Yeah. Well, both of you have sisters. It's incredible. How is, how is everything? Canada is handling the pandemic better than some other nations. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, our country, I'll speak from my perspective, and it's just me here experiencing it every day in Toronto. Um, I'm very grateful that Trudeau hand, has been handling this the way he's been handling it. I, as an artist, uh, was on what we had um, earlier this year called the CERB, the Canadian Emergency Response Benefit. So I was incredibly grateful because I was, you know, I, we just wrapped on on a few shows and then I was supposed to be going on to the next and we got shut down and I had no way of making income. Like every avenue that I would normally go to shut, mm -hmm. to, to try and make as many millions of people had around the world, billions, um all shut down um no restaurants like no nothing like i couldn't even go i could not get a job if i wanted to and uh so we received um two thousand dollars a month here uh and it is so much better than nothing but it's not enough to live in toronto like, but it is so much better than nothing <laughs> so yeah. much better than nothing it gave me a sense of sanity and a sense of hope and had i not had that i don't i mean i had had enough saved up to live for a few months as i always try to do um and i've been fortunate enough to be able to do that not everybody can um but after that like i was freaking out before that happened and we reopened 
uh, bars and restaurants over the summer. We like pretty much did a full reopening, but now we're back into a modified stage two lockdown here. So bars and restaurants and cafes are closed. Um, you can do takeout. You can walk. You can still walk into a restaurant and get takeout and 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 um, take it with you, but you can't eat outside. Or you can't mm -hmm. eat in or coffee. Uh, gyms are closed, which is really hard. Um, and we have something here called now called the CRB, which is uh, the Canadian Relief Benefits. And I don't quite know how that's working. Uh, I, at the moment, knock on wood, I'm very lucky to be working on a couple different productions, so I don't need it, nor do I qualify for it. So I'm okay with that. As long as COVID doesn't screw it up, knock on wood, fine. Um, yeah, dark days, scary times, um, lots of uncertainty. But so far, we've just been like, with good leadership and thoughtfulness, mm -hmm. they've been taking it as best they can. And many people would disagree with me on that, but God, I, I wouldn't want Trudeau's job right now. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I think mean, he's, <laughs> but these are the times you rise, like as, yeah. as, yeah, you, you either, you, yeah, comparatively doing a great job. Sorry guys, I know you're in Georgia. Right now. <laughs> yeah, you're one of like the fate, the first states to open back, like to fully reopen, and mm -hmm. uh, immediately spiked. So that was Aye. that was fun. Yeah. Are people wearing masks? Like, do Sometimes. people? Yeah. Sometimes um, the governor refused to do a um, mm -hmm. a mandate. Really? Yeah. It uh, took the mayor of Atlanta um, actually prepared to like sue her because mm -hmm. she was placing a mandate for her city um, in place. So the mayor of Atlanta was prepared to sue the gov governor. The governor was prepared to the sue the mayor because, because the because the mayor wanted to put a mandate in place yes. to get. Yeah. Can I tell you? People, there was a mass confusion about masks and people were like warring with themselves, like amongst each other. And then the government put the mandate in and everybody's like, okay, masks, like it's clear, we need to wear a mask. And I mean, there's so many sides to this coin and we're like treading into like weird conspiracy waters and stuff and people <laughs> like being like, it's control and all this other stuff. But I'm like, look, man, I mean, look at, look at, the Spanish influenza, like 1918. Everybody wore masks and it, like, I don't know all of the details of it, but they wore masks for the most part. And um, it lasted a long time, but they got through it. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I think like anything we can do right now to make it better and make it go away faster and flatten the curve and all that jazz. Like, I don't want to get COVID. I don't want to give anybody COVID. I don't want that on my conscience. Where? a damn mask people wash your hands sanitize your hands stay away from people who aren't in your bubble stay six feet away please it's the polite thing to do and let's just make this work for everybody we all nobody wants their grandma's dying nobody wants their kids dying we don't want school shut down we don't want to be in this for longer than we need to be in it just cooperate and be kind like it's funny you mentioned basic human decency yeah exactly 
the school shutting down. My sister is uh, in her final year of high school. Mm. Uh, and they're definitely in full swing. Uh, several cases at the high school. And they're like, no, we'll just isolate those kids. And then it's fine. It's fine. Yo. So, so they're isolating all the kids who have COVID into one classroom? No, no, no. They're like, they're like they're at home. Isolated at home? Online. I, I, wow. Wow. You're all in a classroom together. Like, there's no way you can social distance properly in a classroom. And I don't think everybody's wearing a mask in this classroom. Yo, people, I do stunt work. We rehearse all of our stunts in a fucking mask. I wear a surgical mask. 12 hours a day. I take it off when we are rolling and I put it back as soon as they yell cut. I do heavy cardio and fighting in masks all day, every day. You can wear a mask if you're in good health. You can. It's uh, an interesting time. I, I now hearing about this, um, these Canadian programs for relief. Uh, we, we have them as well, right? We have UI, which is our equivalent of ours is unemployment insurance. I think yours is employment insurance, if mm -hmm. I'm not wrong. So we have that. A lot of people didn't qualify because they had part-time jobs or, or whatnot. So we have PUA, which is pandemic unemployment um, okay. assistance. And okay. a lot of people uh, um, qualify for that so of course we all apply for it and then Khalid and I have one friend who was like yeah I got it immediately I'm getting it every week and then the rest of us are like I applied in May and you haven't it. got it yet it's never coming what and then the cutoff is December so that's the last time people can sign up but apparently there are 50 to 60,000 um open cases that have been approved but have not yet been disseminated just in Georgia so it's handled by the state um, what? Yeah, That's so terrible. Are all like suspended, like for contacting them. They, they're like automated replies to emails and tweets. So people are like, yeah, they just quit. Everybody quit because there are too many cases. And then it's just all going like automated. No one's ever going to get their stuff. After like December, they're like, oh, it's closed. So we're just going to wipe all of this stuff. That's a conspiracy theory, but I wouldn't put it past. Yeah, no, I'd, I, it remains to be seen what's going to happen in the next few months. It's going to be very interesting. Mm -hmm. And you just got to bob and weave, man. Bob and weave. And it gets tiring, exhausted. You don't want to move anymore, but you just got to. Just got to, like, dig deep. Just bob and weave. Bob and weave. Stay calm. Stay calm. Stay calm. Then scream a little. Get it out. <laughs> Punch something. Then take a breath. Stay calm. Bob and weave. Bob and weave. Guys, it's terrible. How have you found a sense of calm or grounding in these times? Like what's brought you peace? I'm interested to hear if you guys want to talk about it for a couple minutes. I'm just, I'm curious. For me personally, um, just because I'm constantly creating, you know, work, um, I just kind of sit and draw and it mm -hmm. takes my mind off of things. Um, or when I'm like writing stories, um, I'm able to kind of vent it out, you know, as I reflect on whatever's happening and uh, 
kind of can slide those nuances into the work that I'm writing. Wow, powerful. Yeah, I, I don't know if I've ever been calm. I mean, I'm always calm. I always feel okay. I'm always like, hey, it's bad. But in, in five years, I'm going to be looking back and it's not going to be a problem whatsoever. So. Sorry, um, it cut out there. Okay. Uh, yeah, it cut out. Um, sorry. It, as soon as you started answering, it cut out for me. So I didn't hear anything the last like minute. What have you been doing to keep a sense of calm? So to keep a sense of calm, I feel like I'm always calm because even whenever it's bad, mm -hmm. uh, as a photographer, um, I usually work with people. So during this time, I don't shoot people. I shoot other objects, not making money on it just to do something. But I always think I remember the times whenever I was like writing, I don't know, a 20 page thesis in university and I'm be like, I'm not gonna do it. I and then like a week later I'd be like, Oh, I did it. So I just think, oh, it'll be better, you know, not waiting on the world to change. But sort of mm -hmm. I have to right? do it. And eventually I'll be thinking back, that was awful. I guess we'll be in a in coronavirus times for maybe a year. Hopefully, no longer than that. So I'll be like, that was that was bad, but we made it through. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like I I don't know if this is true for you guys, but I feel here in Toronto, like we went we went into intense lockdown, and then things opened up, and it's almost like we got a breather, mm -hmm. uh, and now it's locking down again. So people, it's like almost scarier this time it's like we know what we had to go through we don't want to go through it again and we're like fuck but um sorry i lost my train of thought here uh but it's also like yeah i hope this doesn't go any longer than a year and we're gonna look back on these times and be like how did we get through it but that's the resilience of the human spirit it's incredible what you can just get through So is um is uh is this what inspired you to or was the catalyst for you to enlist in the military? Uh, no, no, I've been thinking about it for a very long time since my uh, probably since I was younger. I used to watch Stargate. Yeah, cool. I love Stargate. They filmed that in Vancouver. Yeah. So yeah. I was like, I was always like, okay, cool. I want to be a pilot. Um, mm -hmm. or an intel officer, like a translator. Um, cool. I was like, I'm going to do one or the other. So then series of fortunate events, a lot of my friends were in um, commissioning programs at the academies, ROTC. So they're like, yeah, you should come. Um, so I started doing research, started submitting information, taking exams, and then I was like, cool, this is something I can actually do. And then Very coronavirus cool. happened with it. It significantly hindered me. Because yeah, because they weren't, they probably weren't taking anybody on any new yeah, recruits. Absolutely. Interesting. Hmm. Hmm. And then when things open back up, did they contact you and say like, hey, if you're still interested, you can. Yeah. Um, so it, it made it difficult because I had been, uh, you know, dead set on one. It was like, okay, we can't one branch. We're like, cool, cool. We're not accepting anyone for like a year, maybe two years. I was like, okay, let me contact the others. Um, who all have like notable flight programs and we'll be fine 
And then as soon as I start receiving calls from the new one, the, the first one that I was uh, speaking with who said they can't accept anyone, they start calling. So then I have like, four out of the five branches like sending me emails calling, saying, hey, we can get you in front of me. And then I have a different problem than I had before. I was struggling wow. to get into one, and now I have all the options open, which makes it difficult to choose. Yeah, so I crazy. The, uh, the one I feel like I'm most aligned with. Good. That's the best choice. Well, I wish you great success in that journey. Things as well. Yeah, man. It's like you just you like you have like a power and a focus and an intensity that it's interesting. I'm like I'm very excited to see what you do in the world. Thank you. Cool. How difficult is it for you to find work? You found work and you have long-standing um, jobs. And obviously, word of mouth is passed around coming for audition. But is it more difficult now during coronavirus? I have to say that I'm incredibly blessed at the moment, knock on wood, because I'm working more than I've ever worked. And it happened in the last month. And I'm booked, like, it's like it reopened and one production asked my agent and I was one of the first actors back on set and then another production and then other productions that I've been part of were like, hey, we're back for a season, can Ava come out? Um, and then like people I've worked with on previous shows, they're now on new shows and they're, they were the assistants there and now they're the heads of department and they had me in mind for some things. So they called me and they're like, hey, you want to come out for Dan? I'm like, yeah, just make me, let me make sure I'm available. Like it's an incredible thing that it's like a new level that I'm dealing with right now. And I'm so grateful for it. And I never want it to end. Um, and I want to just keep working and doing more work and making cool stuff with awesome people. That's all I really want to do in the world is just make dope shit with dope people. Um, and uh, yeah, so it hasn't been harder. And I just, I like to show up and work like the masks don't affect me they, they they do they're hard to wear but i already do a lot of prosthetics work like i'm used to being in uncomfortable situations and having to perform like i'm like okay just let's do it let's do it so yeah no it hasn't been more difficult in the last two months and yeah like when i did whatever i needed to do during the times like between when i i didn't want to rely on the serb so i i I hustled for other jobs. I did uh, on during the lockdown, I did online courses with schools to teach them how to do makeup because I used to be a makeup artist and I uh, delivered food. I delivered food for Uber Eats just for something to do on my bike. I got her on and pedaled on and like pedaled around Toronto and got some exercise in. And uh, what else did I do? I um, worked at a restaurant briefly. And then I was like, this is not safe. I can't do this. So then I, I stopped that immediately. And, uh, and um, yeah. Oh, and I delivered groceries for senior citizens homes. I did that because I was like, this is something I should really do. So I got access to a car and I got in touch with some grocery stores and just delivered groceries for senior citizens. And I'm like, okay, I will, I just like, you just make it work. You just mm -hmm. find the avenues and you make it work and you make money and so it hasn't been easy. It's been very different, but mm. now fortunately I'm making money and doing what I love.
So it's good. I'm very blessed. I'm very blessed. And here we're at the unfortunate time in which we have to slowly come to a close. Okay. I know anyone who is listening, any of your fans, our fans who are listening, are going to be very upset. Probably sliding in. I would be in. Saying, why did you end this so quickly? The conversation was great. It was great. But we do have to come to a close because we don't live on Zoom. Is there anything that you would like to promote or anything that you want to stand out? Yeah. Well, I just want to say that you guys have an incredible thing going here. And thank you so much for having me on. I feel really lucky to be a part of it. Thank you. Um, and especially during these incredible times across the world. Wish you guys safety and success in the coming months and time. Um, please be sure to check out Star Trek season three on CBS All Access. You can also check out season two if you have Netflix. It, it'll be streaming weekly. Um, the season two comes out. And uh, you can also check it out in Canada on Crave. Star Trek uh, Discovery on uh, Crave, CBS All Access season three. And uh, the news is out. We just got renewed for season four. So yay. Congratulations to us. Yeah. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at the real Ava Blackwell. It's Ava, A-V-A-A-H, B-L-A-C-K-W-E-L-L. -L. It's Ava like you're screaming at the end. Ava. <laughs> I'm on Twitter uh, at Ava Blackwell, A-V-A-A-H, B-L-A-C-K-W-E-L-L. -L. And uh, you can find me on Facebook, my fan page as well, under Ava Blackwell. Cool. Perfect. Perfect. Once again, thank you for being on here. I thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me, gentlemen. And uh, stay safe. Have a great night. Enjoy your uh, Saturday. <laughs> you do the same. Okay. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.